And then also, the other people I want to thank is you, the church. Um, COVID and all the matters of the day have really tested our mettle as people. They really has. I mean, when you can't go and just sit down and watch sports to decompress, that's what I like to do. When you don't even have sports or anything like that to decompress, you're just always up. You know, you're just always amped, it seems like. And uh, that leads to a lot of people being impatient and divided. I'll tell you this. Um, our church has handled everything and, and all the changes and all the, all the operations with mercy and grace and understanding and compassion and love and unity. And I thank you so much for that. It's a great testament to the spirit of Christ that is alive here at Graceway. Um, I am thankful and proud to be a minister of the gospel. And I'm also thankful and proud to be the pastor of a sweet church. And so thank you so much for that. So here's what I want to do. All together, we're all just going to thank everybody with a big, a big round of applause, okay? So one, two, three, thank everybody for everyone that you have done such a fantastic job. You've really demonstrated a great spirit of love and of unity. Now, we're still navigating some things through COVID-19, and there's still some more decisions and some more planning that needs to take place, uh, but I imagine that we'll continue to see that spirit of unity, and we're thankful for that. And unity is really the subject that I feel led this morning to preach on. Um, that's probably the subject that is in the back of a lot of our minds, because that's the world that we're living in today. We live in a world where unity seems to be tested. In some opinions, it may be non-existent or something like that. But unity is a small five-letter word, but it's a word that <clears throat> you could probably write volumes on trying to explain it. Everybody's got a different definition of what unity is or a, an idea of it. What is it? What does it really look like? Where does it come from? Who needs to step forward and be the first person to take a step towards unity? Unity is often interpreted, and when I was younger and a lot less mature and a lot less good-looking, by the way, than I am now, uh, when, I was a lot less younger, when I was a lot younger and less mature, I used to think that unity meant everybody agreeing with me. That's what I thought unity meant. When I looked at unity, and when I thought and I tried to define it within my own mind, unity meant everybody agreeing with Derek, because if Derek's right on pretty much everything, if everybody would just come alongside Derek's opinion, everybody would be in unity. Disunity was when someone disagreed with Derek, and guess how well that worked in the first couple years of my marriage? Not very well at all. But you know what? If that's the real definition of unity, we're never gonna see unity happen, because even gathered within this room, where we all share the common bond of Jesus Christ, there's probably a lot of different opinions that are represented in this room or those who are watching through our live stream. There's a lot of different opinions that are reflected in our church alone and we all are bound together in Christ. So for instance, how many of you like Mexican food? How do you like Mexican food? Okay, a couple of, more than more people in the, the earlier system. How many say I don't like Mexican food, like I'm passionately against it? Okay, a couple, none of you. Okay, good. How many of you say, I, I'd rather, I just don't need it. I don't need to have it in my life. Okay, a couple of you there. See, right there, all of a sudden, we have failed the litmus test for unity if it all has to be, everybody has to agree on everything all at the same time. And I'll be honest with you, from a pastoral perspective, when the ball dropped back on January 1st, and we entered into 2020, a new decade, and all that type of stuff, for me, from a pastoral perspective, I started praying right then and there. Because not only were we heading into a new, decade year, a new decade, but we were headed into an election year. And from a pastoral perspective, that's, a that's tough to minister many times in an election year because there are so many differences and opinions and everybody just gets divided over which candidate they want, they want to, uh, to pry. And, and that distraction carries its way into the church many times. It really does. And then added on top of that in 2020, added on top of the election year, then we get COVID. 
And then we get masks or no masks, and then we get shelter in place, and then we get toilet paper shortages, and then we get murder hornets, and we get all this other stuff. And it's like, dude, 2020, can we hit the refresh button on it, right? I saw a meme the other day um, from the, the movie Back to the Future. How many of you like Back to the Future? Okay, some of you don't like Back to the Future? Okay, see, we've already got a unity problem again, see, right there. But the meme I saw was from the first movie when Christopher Lloyd... Lloyd is sitting in the DeLorean time machine and Marty's standing outside and he's getting ready to push the, push the button on, the, uh, on, on where to go to and it says, whatever you do, Marty, never go to the year 2020, ever. And I'll be honest with you, if I had a time machine, I'd hop in it right now and go anywhere but 2020, to be honest with you. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, because 2020, it's like we're halfway through it and we're thinking, can it go more downhill from here? Don't ask that question because the answer has already been yes too many times, Right? We wake up every day saying, all right, which seal of the judgment in Revelation are we opening today? You know? It's like, man, what is going on? And you know what? Here's the thing. I think it's fun. It's, it's, it's good for us to find humor in some of the things that we go through in life. Because if we don't find humor, it will destroy us. Body, mind, heart, and soul. But at the same time, we can't always laugh everything off that's going on around us too. Because there are serious things that are always taking place. Always, there's always serious things that are going on. We're stuck smack dab in the middle of the strangest year that, we, that any of us may have ever lived through. COVID-19 earlier on put us in a position where we were all in the same position together. Didn't matter what country you were from, didn't matter what age you were, didn't matter what race you were, didn't matter what was going on, COVID was something that would attack all of us and none of us knew the answer to it. And it kind of put us in this boat where we realized no matter what our differences may be on the outside, as human beings, we're all in trouble. We're all, we all are fighting this same problem that we've got all around us. And then the events in the past couple of weeks, and then as weeks went on through COVID, then we began to see our human nature really taking place. Everybody was, was, seemed to be in this together, and then a few weeks and months began to take place, and people began to divide over the, this, this and that and the other. And then the past couple of weeks, what has taken place in our nation through racial division and seeing riots and, and, and protests and looters, and we need to make sure that we separate what those things really are and take them for what they really are in their nature. But you know what? We see all those things taking place, and we're brought to this understanding that we live in a very serious time. We live in a very serious time, which is really no different than any other generation that has lived before. Every generation has come to a place that becomes the challenge of the hour for their generation. This is ours. I really believe that. And as a church is considered, this is the challenge of the hour for the church. The church has lasted for thousands of years and the church is one of those things that will continue until the Lord returns. And the church has had to stand and come and rise to the occasion in the challenges of, of, the, times that, uh, of the times of history. Will we rise to the challenges that we see before us today? And I'll be honest with you, this isn't the subject that I wanted to preach on today, but it's the subject that I've felt compelled and led by the spirit that needs to be preached today. When we decided, hey, June 7th is gonna be our opening date, I was like, man, we're gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna preach a celebratory message. We're gonna do something happy about you know, being back together and there is a time and a place for that and while I am joyful and joyous about being back in God's house together and joyous about seeing your faces again, our hearts are heavy too. They really are. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of dread. There's a lot of questioning of what's going on around us and what's going to take place tomorrow. What's gonna, what, are we gonna, what kind of world are we gonna walk out to when we walk out of this building? It's kind of where we're at sometimes. 
So how do we navigate that as believers who are not to walk in a spirit of fear, who are not to walk in a spirit of, 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 of judgment and, and, and criticism and hatred towards our fellow man? How do we navigate that when it seems like it's all around us and it's closing in on us everywhere? So I welcome you back this morning with joy, but also with a heavy heart. But in light of our text this morning, I welcome you back with the same hope that we dismissed with back in March, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the gospel is what we are centered on, and the gospel will be our hope in not only this predicament, the predicaments we faced in the past, but also in the predicaments we will face in the future. It all comes to Jesus. And here's the thing, church. Jesus is either our source of hope, and he is our solution, or he's not. And so with that in mind, that's what I want to look at as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11. I'm reading this morning from the Christian Standard Bible, and it says this, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Now each one of us in here this morning were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship or from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were foreigners to the covenants of promise. Now here's the sad state of affairs of us in our sin, without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. <laughs> For he is our peace. He is our peace who has made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man, or your version may say one new nation from the two, resulting, or one household resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were already near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being fitly framed or being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Let's pray this morning. Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, we bow in your presence this morning together for the first time in almost three months. And Lord Jesus, we have to admit that it is sweet, but we also bow this morning at a time when we're surrounded by fear and sickness. We're surrounded by uncertainty and violence and division. And as your church, Lord, we ask for you to speak loudly and clearly this morning. I know personally that I have asked you all weekend and all week that you would silence Derek so that you could speak. Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. May your word speak to us loud and clear. We are here to hear from you. As we sang earlier this morning, we are here gathered in your place asking you to open up the heavens. We need to hear from you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I wanna start this morning by making a, a pretty bold but a, a challenging statement to the church. This is what I've been personally challenged with in the past, uh, the past little bit. I believe this with my whole heart. I believe this, that the church of Jesus Christ has been the best equipped and the most clearly commanded and mandated to be the agency and the hub of reconciliation and peace and hope and unity in our world. 
You can look for a lot of other things that will try to ensure peace and unity and reconciliation, but reconciliation comes through the one who originated it. And the one who originated reconciliation was the Lord God Almighty when he sent Jesus Jesus Christ to the cross to provide reconciliation between sinful man and holy God. In him we are reconciled to him, and through him we are reconciled to one another. That's really the basis of this passage. And I believe that through this passage, as the church, we receive a mandate that we must be different in a world that doesn't know God. That in a world that doesn't know God and knows only strife and discord and disunity because that is the role of the enemy. The enemy tempts us to sin, and get this, sin separates Sin separates, but Jesus unites. Jesus draws us near. That's what our text just said. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are all brought near to God. And through the blood of Jesus Christ and salvation and reconciliation in him, we are brought near or should be brought near to one another. See, I've seen a, a lot of posts, a lot of commentaries, a lot of, uh, a, a, a lot of uh, blog posts and a lot of comments and heard a lot of comments with a fatal fear that the fabric of America is being torn in two today. And you know what? It may or may not be, that may or may not be the answer. I don't have the answer. I don't want to see that happen. But here's what I know. I know that every enterprise of man throughout history has risen and it has fallen because every enterprise of man is just that. It's an enterprise of man and we are temporary. Only the enterprise of God is eternal. And so here's the thing, as the fabric of society may or may not rip around us, we have to understand as the church that we are, we are, uh, we're made up and we're composed and we're cut from a much stronger cloth than that. We're cut from an eternal cloth of the kingdom of God that in his blood and in his grace, we are eternally secure and eternally founded upon him. And that's why we can face the things that we see without fear. That's why we can face the things that go on around us with a confidence that God is our victory, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Our text says this, we are not strangers, but we are foreigners. We were, we were not strangers or foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. We are, as the text says, a building that is fitly framed together, constructed on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ to be a holy temple in the Lord and a habitation of God through spirit. See, the biblical mandate is that the church should be leading the way in diversity and in peaceful reconciliation. We should be leading the way in that, and that comes only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, that sounds simplistic because we got a lot of serious issues. I realize that, I'm not blind to that, but I believe that we have a serious savior, and when he went to the cross, he solved the most serious problem that we ever had, and that is sin. Because that's the root of everything. All the problems, all the divisions, remember, sin separates. The the, the problems that we see are fruit of the biggest problem that we have sin that rules and reigns our hearts and lives today. And church, we have to be understanding that just because we're saved doesn't mean that sin does not still have its effect on us. It does. See, the text we read this morning speaks to the issue of racial division. The Bible speaks very clearly in several different passages about racial division because racial division is not something that just has been going on in the United States of America for the past 400 years. Racial division is something that has existed ever since man sinned because that's the effect of sin. Sin separates. Sin separates us from God and then separates us from one another in shame, in skepticism, in judgment, in whatever you may want to call it. Sin separates. And so because of that, man is really, mankind is really good at, this one thing that we're really good at is, is choosing sides, 
and fighting with each other. We fight really good, don't we? We don't make up near as good. So there's one thing that we've always been good at is choosing sides, and here's the problem, or here's the, here's the truth, is that God has always had a problem with us doing that. God has always had a problem with the division that we create through sin. See, the racial division in our text was between Jews and Gentiles, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, and the question that we look at, that's 2,000 years ago, what's that have to do with us? We got a different kind of problem. No, we don't. No, we don't. We have a division between races. We have a division between people looking at people and the color of their skin, the nature of their origin, and saying, I don't like you because of these things, and I have uh, assumptions in my heart, in my mind, against you because of that. You say, well, I think a lot of it's ramped up. May or may not be. I don't know. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to begin to see things through the filter of the gospel rather than through all the other filters that are forced in front of us. You see, here's what F.F. Bruce says in his commentary on Ephesians he says, no iron curtain, no color bar, no class distinction, no national frontier of today is more absolute than the division between Jew and Gentile was in the Bible. The transformation that enabled Jew and Gentile to truly become one in Christ was one of the greatest triumphs of the gospel in the apostolic age. And church, I believe this, that racial unity can and should be one of the greatest triumphs of the age of the church that we're living in today, but it must be done through the gospel of Jesus Christ because thankfully we serve a God and we have a heavenly father that we all call Abba, by the way, who does, when he looks at us, yes, he sees the black, he sees the white, he sees the brown and the yellow and the red skin, but he looks further. See, when he looks at us, he sees the police badge and he sees the prison jumpsuit, but he looks further. When he looks at us, he sees the Democratic or the Republican bumper sticker, but he looks further. He looks through all of those things that divide us from one another, and he sees what divides us from him. And that is, regardless of whatever label we want to carry, we carry the label of sinner before God. And he has been continually working to reconcile us to himself, to bring us to peace with him that will then extend to peace with other people. So this morning and also next Sunday, because this passage that we looked at is chock full of things that we have to understand as the church who's been mandated to promote gospel unity in a world that doesn't know it. There's eight things that we're gonna be looking at over the next two weeks, four today and four next Sunday as well. And we're gonna center on this one verse in verse number 14, for he is our peace. That's the, the title of the message. To, to know Jesus is to know peace. To know Jesus is to know peace. And we talk a lot about when will the strife end? When will it stop? When will we see peace actually come to fruition? Well, I can tell you when we won't see it. We won't see it if we keep ignoring the peacemaker. We just won't. So the first thing we have to understand in what the Bible tells us and what Paul begins to help us all realize, Jew and Gentile alike, is that all humanity is equal in a couple of things. All humanity is equal in the fact that we share the same problem. Every one of us share the same problem. In verse number 12, look at what it says. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and the foreigners to those covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. See, in verses, uh, this, this text that we looked at this morning is actually part two of a bigger statement that Paul is making at the beginning of chapter two. See, verses one through 10, Paul is talking about individual reconciliation between one human being and between God as the Savior. It means this, and what he's saying is, is that there is two types of reconciliation that the gospel gives us. It gives us a reconciliation personally with God that we all must be saved. 
See, the thing is, is as a saved man, I can't just look at that and say, and look at my kids and say that my salvation is just going to be genetically passed on to my kids or somehow inherited. What I have to do as as a father and what we have to do as parents is begin to live out the gospel, teach the gospel, preach the gospel, make the gospel part of our home so that one day our children hear the gospel and respond to it individually themselves because I can't pass on my salvation through hereditary means. I pass it on through sharing the gospel. So each one of us have the same problem and each one of us are individually responsible for addressing that problem through salvation in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross for every one of us to make salvation available to all of us, not just to some. But you see, as we shift into verses 11 through 22, he begins to then say, okay, you all who are saved, hey church, listen up. You've been reconciled to God, now be reconciled to one another. Because when I reconciled you to me, I've I've made this place called heaven, and one day, you're all gonna be in heaven together. The book of Revelation says all of you are gonna be together. So let's start learning how to act like heaven down here on earth. And so what he said is, you Jews and you Gentiles who are saved by my son, you need to come together and start preaching the gospel together. And you need to start living in communion with one another together and drop all of those things that divide you here on earth because you're going to be in heaven way longer than you're here. And that's the basis of our differences with one another. Is that all of the differences that we look at with one another are based off of what's here and temporary. Not what Jesus died to redeem for the eternal. The result of our sin was that we were without Christ. We were without hope, we were separated. We were having no part with Christ. See, Gentiles in Paul's day were looked down upon racially because Jewish tradition for so long had been said that Jews were the people of God and so then when Jesus came and when the gospel was taken to the Gentiles, they really struggled with their cultural learning to understand that now Jesus had brought in a new law, a completed law to where God had brought the gospel to everyone. And they began to see that the Messiah and salvation was something that only Jews could benefit from. But then Paul tells them, though, the gospel is something for all of us to benefit from because I'm no longer creating a holy nation, I'm creating a holy kingdom that will call all people from all corners of the globe together in my name. Paul reminds the Jew and the Gentile alike that the unsaved Gentile and the unsaved Jew were equally far from God and sin, equally outside of Christ, without hope and without God. But you see, what you had was many Jewish believers, those who had trusted Christ, Jewish believers looking at their Gentile brothers and sisters and saying, you know what, if you're gonna be saved, you're gonna have to jump through a few more hoops circumcision and following the Jewish laws and those types of things. So if you're gonna be saved, you're gonna have to come extra far in order to be saved. God's gotta bring you a little further distance. No. We all come to the same place. No matter what distance we cover, we come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God is looking for a circumcised heart. He's not looking for all the outward shows. He's looking for the circumcised heart. And we can do all the right things. We can check all the boxes physically and legally. But if our heart is not right, we're not right with God. And this is what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 29 when he says, if you acknowledge me with your lips, you can acknowledge me with your lips, but your heart can still be very far from me. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God in Romans and that the result of that sin is a huge problem that we have been separated from God. Again, if you get nothing from today, get this two-word sermon, sin separates. When we see division and separation, you can be, you can chalk it up and understand that it is the result of sin. 
Sin is spun throughout the thread of all of it. So no matter what worldly differences we may see, we're all born in the same way in God's eyes. We're all without Christ, we're all without hope, and we're all without God in the world. So we've all got the same problem. We all share the same problem as humanity. The next thing that we all share is we share the same need. Since we all have the same problem, that means we all have the same need. Now our needs may be different physically speaking. You may not have as much financial need as the person sitting next to you or someone else out here in our city or someone else in the world the world. But our same spiritual need and our same human need is all the same. We are all in sin and we all need a savior. We are all in sin and we all need a savior. Our same problem has presented the same need. We're all far from God and our need is we need to be brought near because we can't get near on our own. Look at verse number 13. After Paul described where we stood before God in our sin, now he describes what he was going to do about it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been, say it with me, brought near by the blood of Christ. When we all had the same problem, we were far from God, we all had the same need, had the same need which was to be brought near to God and God provided the need. God provided for the need through his son. And not only do we need to be brought near to God, but then the, the text will go on to say that we will be brought near to one another in God, in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing this passage again to the early church that during a time when racism and discrimination was ready to rip Christianity apart before it could even really get off the ground. You see, we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth next week, but later on when he talks about the walls of division that we read just a minute ago, the walls of division, not only was he talking about social walls, but he was talking about literal walls. In a lot of places of worship, in a lot of houses of worship, and, and when I mean houses, I mean houses literally, they tried to mimic what was taking place in the Jewish temple, where you had a literal wall that divided Jews from Gentiles. And so when he says lower those walls, he was talking about the division that was taking place not only physically, but spiritually uh, and socially as well. If we have been reconciled to God as infinitely wicked to an infinitely holy God, then we can be reconciled to one another. We can be reconciled to one another. I love the phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This is so true because it's at the foot of the cross that we find the endless supply of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what we all need is the blood of Christ to draw us near to him. See, our need is to be brought near to God. Our problem is that we have sinned and we're far from him. Our need is that we need to be brought near to him through his righteous blood. And then the third thing that we see, after we've seen our need, we see the solution. He didn't just leave us in our point of need, he brought our solution. In verse number 14, true peace is only found in Jesus Christ. Verse number 14, read this with me. For he is our peace. Stop right there again. This passage, this, this phrase was so powerful that I felt compelled. This needs to be the, the title of the message. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He's not just a way to peace. Well, he is a way to peace, but he's not just a way to peace. He doesn't just talk about peace, although he did. He didn't just bring peace, although he did. He is peace. To know Jesus is to know peace. To not know Jesus is to not know peace. We live in a world today that despite whatever may be going on, we live in a world today that the most, the most blatant problem that we see in our culture is that there are people who do not know that they are loved by a holy and a righteous God. God. 
true peace is only found in Christ, for he is our peace. And he has made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. <sighs> Say it to your neighbor if you need to. He is our peace. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, he is our peace. He is your peace. You will not find peace outside of Christ. There was a phrase that, was, that became a mantra back in the 1930s leading into World War II when Neville Chamberlain came home, from, uh, came home from a peace summit with Adolf Hitler in Germany. He came home and as he, as he walked in, the first thing he said to the press was, peace in our time and peace with honor. When he came home from Germany in September of 1938, he was sure that he had brokered peace with Adolf Hitler through his process of what he called an appeasement policy. But one year later, Adolf Hitler still went and invaded Poland. He still started the, he still started the ethnic cleansing of the Jewish people in, the, in, in his controlled nations and started the Holocaust. So you could say that Chamberlain's great peace mission had failed. And we can say that, we look at that and say, well, Chamberlain was wrong and he should have used a different method and he should have known this. Here's what we should honestly see ultimately is that human peace missions have been failing ever since human peace missions have been beginning. You may see peace for a little while, but human peace, human instigated peace, human provided peace is always fragile because humans are fragile. We're all evil and wicked at our heart. We're always eventually gonna look out for number one. See, it seems that most human peace missions end up failing in the long term. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, I read somewhere that from 1500 BC to 8850, there were 7,500 eternal covenants agreed upon among various nations and tribes and clans, all with the hope that they would bring peace, but that no covenant had lasted longer than two years. Get that, 7,500 eternal covenants. They sat down and said, forever, this is, we're gonna have peace. Forever, we're gonna have peace. And this piece of paper is going to ensure it. Within two years, every one of them was not worth the paper they were written on. Why? Because peace outside of Christ is not peace. But there's only one eternal covenant that has ever been established in the history of history, and that is the eternal covenant of God with man. That through my son, Jesus Christ, you can have salvation, and through my son, Jesus Christ, you can have peace. And I'm a firm believer that peace in our world, peace in our nation, peace between our races, peace in our church, peace in our homes, peace in our time will always be out of reach as long as we leave Jesus out of the picture. When we leave Jesus out, you take the peace right out the window. Because as our text says, Jesus is peace. He's the prince of peace. He's the peace speaker. The winds and the seas obey him. They have to. And this is the distinction between man and every other part of creation. We ha the, the, all creation has to obey God. We're the only part of creation that's given free will. And what do we choose to do with it? Most of the time, we end up saying, yes, peace, peace speaker. Yes, peacemaker. Yes, prince of peace. I know that that will lead to peace, but I'm going to handle it on my own. And we do it to our detriment. Will we as humanity, the chief of his creation, heed his voice that calls out for peace? And lastly, the thing that we need to understand, after we understand that as humans, we all share the same problem and sin, we all have the same need in being, being brought together to God, we all need the same solution in the Prince of Peace, providing peace. The last thing we understand is that in Jesus Christ, we are all made one. In Jesus Christ, we are all made one. Look again at verse number 14. After we see that great pronouncement, he is our peace, what is the very next phrase? who has made both one. The result of him bringing us peace is that he puts us at peace with one another too. 
Church is meant to be a hospital for the sinners. But there's a nature of the church that it is also to be a refuge for the saints. That in the body of Christ, we find refuge with one another. But unfortunately, today, in a lot of churches, in a lot of places, we find no difference. It's not as much of a refuge as it should be. That's why I said I'm so thankful for the way we have been handling this time of pandemic and things. Will we continue to operate in that unity together as, as we move forward? He's our peace who has made both one. After seeing that Jesus is our peace, his peace makes us one in him. It unites us not under any man-made banner, any man-made group. It, it operates under the banner of Jesus Christ in the family of God. I've had a chance to go to different countries on mission trips and to worship with brothers and sisters in other countries. And there might have been different flags flying over those countries, but I'll tell you this, when we came together, the worship was still sweet. It was still the same. There may have been a little bit of differences, but it was still the same. We worshiped under the banner of Jesus Christ. And you know what the old kid song says? His banner over me is love. We are drawn together and made one in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. See, I don't want to get to heaven one day and try to explain my my service to God by making sure that I told everybody what I was against. And God look at me and say, but I gave you so many opportunities to tell, you, to tell them who you were for. So I don't think the role of the Christian is to get to heaven one day and explain to God that, man, I made sure I'd let everybody know what I was against. There are some things that we need to take stands for righteousness for. But it's not to say we're taking stand against something, we're taking stands for Righteousness. You'd be surprised how much we can have in common and how much respect that we can have for a person when we drop the differences and we magnify Jesus and the gospel and the truth of his word together. And this notion is backed up in Galatians chapter three, verse 28, when it tells us that God doesn't see nationality or ethnicity. Look what it says, it says there's no Jew, there's no Greek, which was the racial division of the day. There's no slave or free, there's no male or female since you are all one in Jesus Christ. And when God looks at us, Yes, he sees the skin color. Yes, he sees the differences. But he looks beyond those things and he unites us as one in Jesus Christ. Because if those in our nation without God are ever gonna see the key to peace and unity is through Jesus Christ, then they're gonna have to see it first in his church. Again, we're the agency of hope. We're the institution that God created to be the embassy of heaven here on earth. And if the world that does not know God cannot look at the church that is supposed to operate as God. If they can't see the difference, then we're failing. You see, Paul, the words that Paul used in Ephesians, he was sharing those. Those things were culturally revolutionary at that time. Everything that the Jewish believers had been taught from the cradle up was that God had a special place in his heart for the Jewish people, and he does and still does but that through the gospel, his heart is extending to make the Gentiles his people as well. And they had a hard time with it. It challenged the status quo. It was a challenge for the church to be different, for the church to be powered by the gospel that has been provided to all and for all. It was was a challenge to pronounce that there's hope in our fear, that there's peace in our unrest, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. And you know what? It was a challenge and revolutionary 2,000 years ago, but it's a challenge to the church today to continue to understand that the divisions that we see here today for the 60, 70, 80 years we may live our lives 
Those things won't be taking place in heaven one day. And as God's church, as representatives, as ambassadors of heaven, we live by heaven's standard to see his kingdom come here on earth. To call, courageous, to call, to, the call to courageously confront division and disunity in our culture, but we'll never do it if we can't struggle, stop struggling with one another, fighting and bickering over everything. That's why I said, when, when, a, when an election year comes from a pastoral perspective, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. You know, because yes, it, it, I'm so thankful that we live in a democracy and we have the right to vote, but man, it can be distracting from the cause of Christ at times. It really can. And we need to understand that the struggle is part of the enemy's battle plan against the church. And you know what? There's some that might be sitting here, there's some that might be watching right now who have said, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying, but you've really struggled to hear this apart from the filter of politics and apart from the filter of agenda and apart from all the posts that you see on Facebook and on Twitter. I want to challenge you to look at it for what it is. It is God's word face value. Because here's the thing, I do the same thing too. We view everything through filters and we have to understand that this is not a political issue. And we can expect, we can expect those who don't know Christ to look to politics and to, look to all, and to look to force and look to all of those things to try to affect change because that's their only hope. But we as the church, we have a hope that is far greater. The change has already come. The battle has already been won. In Christ, we are a new creation. We are a, a holy, righteous household in God. And that house's door is wide open for all who would come in. But they won't know if we don't tell them. Jesus made us one in him and we're his body. And here's the thing, and the body can only be properly functioned if it works in tandem with one another towards the same goal. And our goal, our, our, our direction is Jesus Christ. See, I'm a left-handed person. Anybody, anybody else left-handed in here? All right, a couple more, I feel good. We, well, we're still the minority. Look around, man. There's so many right-handed people just don't understand. They see in the world completely backwards, aren't they? See, another reason we can't be unified. But you know what? Being a left-handed person, there has never been a moment when my right hand just took over and smacked me in the face because it was jealous that the left hand was getting all the attention and that it was favored. I've never seen a conversation between my toes on my feet here in the big toe saying to the other ones, you know what? This neighborhood will be a whole lot better if we can just get the pinky toe out of here. Why? Because my body has to function together and every part of my body is needed for it to properly function. And guess what? Man, woman, boy, girl, red, yellow, black, white, it doesn't matter. God has created each one of us. Every one of us have significance. That's one of the reasons we stand and we say, you know what? Abortion is wrong. It's murder. Why? Because God created that individual. God created that life. And life is precious in the womb and out of the womb. All the way to the tomb. But you see, when we, there's something that happens that we end up beginning to say, well, that person had their chance and they messed up and they're a bad apple and we just don't need to have anything to do with them anymore. I'm glad God didn't do that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. I really am. See, we're all creations of God and no one is more deserving of God's grace than another and we all stand in need of his grace as desperately as the other. And that's ultimately what's at stake in all of this. As the church, we have to stand loud and clear with the gospel of Jesus that pronounces there is a God in heaven and he has a son and his name is Jesus and God created each one of us with significance and importance and he loves each one of us the same. And as his people, we need to love like that too.
So as we close out this morning, we go to a time of invitation. I want to just touch on and kind of whet your appetite for what's coming next week. And you might be thinking, oh man, I got to go through this next week too. But part two is really good. He is our peace who has made both groups one. And then what it says is he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. What does Jesus' peace do? It tears down the walls. It tears down the dividing walls of hostility. We're going to talk about those walls next week. And it says that he does it in his flesh. And verse number 15 says that he abolished the enmity between God and man and between man in his flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The one who had every right to stay at a distance, the one who had every right to put us away, the one who had every right to judge us, extends us mercy. And he came and became sin for us so that we could then become righteousness in him. That's the attitude and that's what needs to fuel us as the church of Jesus Christ in a world that is going to, as the word says, increasingly and increasingly wax worse. Will we see periods of hope? Yes. But ultimately we have to understand that our only hope and our only peace is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So the question this day, are you reconciled to God? First and foremost, are you reconciled to God? Your greatest... (laughs) Your greatest division, if you are not saved, is the fact that you are divided from God because sin separates. Sin separates us from a holy God. If you're not saved, today is the day of salvation. He came near to us so that we could come near and brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, today's the day of salvation. The Bible says to realize all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. If you don't know Christ as your savior, let's talk today about that. Invitation's gonna look a little bit different today. We're not going to be having an altar call today. We're going to ask you to stay seated during the invitation and use your pew uh, or your chair as a place where you would pray. If you have need to talk to somebody, we invite you to stand up while heads bowed and our eyes are closed in just a moment. And we have a, a, a counseling room that is available. If you need to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian, you need to talk to somebody, you're in need of spiritual counsel. Or as you're heading out the door today, you need to talk to someone, please let us know. Because we don't just come here to sing some songs, clap some hands, feel good about ourselves, check off that thing, and then go to brunch. We come to the house of God to meet with God. And I pray that that's what's happened today. I pray that's what's happened. So if you're not saved today, be reconciled to him today. In him, we can have eternal life. If you are saved Have you answered the call to completely and fully surrender to him? We stand in a tense time in our culture. There are people that are losing their lives to an illness that we don't know how to fight completely yet. There are people that are losing their lives fighting in the streets. There are people that are losing their lives to cancer. They're losing their lives to all sorts of things. The number one problem that we all face too is that we all will face the end one day. We face it with Jesus as our savior. How can we respond to the things that we see going on? We have to respond with the gospel that reconciles us to God and then to each other. So this morning, you may be here with every head bowed and and, and every eye closed as we are in an attitude of prayer this morning. Me personally, preparing this message, I was broken and undone by God, realizing that I had not been centering my life completely on the gospel like I should. That I know that I need to do better at seeing my world through the filter of the gospel, that I need to have the eyes of Jesus. If that's you, would you, and you say, yeah, that's me too, I I agree, I need to see the eyes, I need to see the world through the eyes of Jesus much more. If that's you, would you please raise your hand? 
just as a, just as a public confession. That's me. I want to lead us in prayer this morning as we get ready to dismiss and just pray collectively for us today that we would be given the eyes and the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world that we live in today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have had to gather in your house. And I pray this morning that as we get ready to sing this song that reminds us that you became sin, you did not know sin, so we might become righteous. I pray, Lord, that you'll do a work in our hearts. Those of us who have said, I, I need to have your hands. I need to have your feet. I need, to, I need to have your eyes more. Help me to have that. Will you give us that? Will you give us a gospel vision as we see people? That, that gospel filter. Because you are our peace. I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you or they're watching this morning on, on our live stream that does not know you, may they come to know you today. May they come to understand that our sin has separated us from a holy God, but your grace covers our sin. If we will repent and we will draw near to you and trust you, you will be our salvation. Move in this time in Jesus' name, amen. As we stay seated this morning, and Hannah leads us in, a, in just a verse and a chorus of Jesus Messiah. Actually, let's stand this morning unless you are in an attitude of prayer and would like to sit. sit. Hannah's going to lead us in a, in a verse and a chorus of Jesus Messiah this morning as we worship together. But if you have a need this morning, if you would like to talk to somebody, join us at the, at the back this morning and we'll talk with you whatever need you have, please. He became sin Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness 